to Jelly Trumpet. So this is our bonus track on Jelly Trumpet with the actor and voiceover artist Paul Albertson. So um, in our interview, 12 questions in 12 minutes, uh, Mr. Paul, um, we touched upon your hero, Orson Welles. So can you remember the first time that um, he meant something to you? Was it his acting or was it his direction or what was it? I think I think it was his presence, you know. I mean, um, I think I obviously watched him in a film, and I just remember thinking, "God, who's who's this guy? He's really good," um, because he would have been in some black and white films, but he had a real naturalism to him. He had a wonderful naturalism to him, and an his presence was brilliant as well. Mm. And he, then he had his very commanding voice. But there was a cheekiness to him as well, I remember. And mm. um, he tended, even then, you're watching him and, and you're not quite sure what he's doing. As, as you get older, you realize he's sort of breaking the rules a bit. Mm. And that's what makes him really interesting to watch. So, first of all, I was fascinated with him as a performer. And then, and then of course, you get more involved in it. And, I've, you know, and now, you know, you sort of you start to watch, you start to watch, um, you know, the classics, you know, Citizen Kane and, um, a touch of evil and all that kind of stuff. And then you, then, then he, you know, every, so his work is fascinating. And then his story is very fascinating mm. as well. You know, just, just, you know, he's the way, you know, he's, he's gone, you know, he's just started off where he, you know, was into the, got into involved in the public consciousness with um, war of the worlds, you know, mm. and then became this sort of genius that everyone lauded and then, and then no one worked with him. And, yeah, he was a very young he, genius, wasn't he? He was a very, he's a very young genius. Yeah, <clears throat> and of course, and um, uh, yeah, and and you again, you would have thought he would have had a very smooth ride, but he absolutely didn't. You know, no, and I think he wasn't, wasn't conventional. He wasn't conservative. His parents weren't. If anyone is really interested in Orson Welles, we do recommend the Simon Callow biography of him and where yeah. he started and how he appeared to blag himself into the Abbey Players in in Dublin and how he kicked off in in New York and then how mm. he recorded in, in Hollywood. And then uh, you've mentioned some of his great films. There's, there's two others that I would recommend. One is his uh, uh, take on Shakespeare, which is Chimes at Midnight, which yeah. has got a wonderful uh, battle sequence in it, which is real, really uh, mind-blowingly sad in a way. And the other one is that he was very interested in magic, wasn't he? So he was he very interested in magic. F for Fake. Did you ever see that? I never saw that. I never saw that. He tells a brilliant story uh, about about magic because he was a, he went to he went to a I can't remember who it was now, but uh, he said that um, the reason people have professional magicians is because nobody wants anyone to do any magic in real life, you know. And uh, he said he said he went to a party once, big Hollywood party, yeah. and he thought someone's going to ask me to do a magic trick. So he said he went he went to this party and he had a rabbit put in his pocket because. You just thought, yeah, somebody's going to ask me at some point to do a rabbit trick, and I'm just going to stun the whole crowd by pulling a rabbit out of the hat or something like that. He said, he said, and uh, it got to about midnight, and still no one had asked me to do a magic trick. By which point, this rabbit had like peed in my pocket twenty times. He said, and it got to three in the morning, still no one had asked me, and uh, I ended up me and Miss Rabbit went home, and he'd never been uh, never been released. 
but no, because no one wanted me to do any magic. <laughs> he said, I, oh, no, I no. never. It's a, pretty, it's a brilliant story, yeah. yeah the he was taken to his magic and his all, all his other he was. Did you ever yeah. see him, um, I was fascinated by this, see him, his interviews with Michael Parkinson? Yeah, as I say, I watch, I watch his interviews all the time. There's some, again, again, YouTube is a brilliant resource for this. There are, there are lots of fantastic interviews with him yeah. um, uh, where he, he, again, he was an outsider as well. So, so he had a very objective view on, on Hollywood and the films mm. and the system. And I do think he was a man that was ahead of his time, really. Uh, it's been commented on, uh, I think that's probably true, that, that he was he was making independent cinema or trying to make independent cinema b before that genre was even invented, you know. Well, was that a means to, to an end? Because he was very much of his own mind. I don't think he, he bear, he was a collaborator. He was more dictatorial. And then when he fell out with Hollywood, when they recut the Magnificent Ambersons, he was mm. sort of came to Europe, didn't he? And did all sorts of bit work and adverts to finance his own projects. Yeah, yeah. Well, he realised that he didn't have because originally he had he had full creative control over Citizen Kane. Yeah, uh, yeah. Which, which is because they, he was you know this genius that was coming to Hollywood, and then um, RKO got taken over halfway through uh, the Ambersons, and they decided when he was away that they were going to then recut the ending because they thought it was too gloomy. Mm. And um, and then that was it. And I think once he realised that he didn't have creative control anymore, then the only way to get get to get creative control is to work outside of that system and and raise your own money and make your own films. Because it was a very much studio system at that time, wasn't it? Well, yeah, absolutely. Sort of indentured, yeah. indentured mm. studios. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. So I'd, I'd like to pick up on a couple of other things possibly that we talked about in the 12 questions in 12 minutes, and that's <clears> you're so professional. And one of the things that comes across is your sense of detachment but in i think more would you say self-preservation because i knew i could never make it as an actor because i just can't deal with rejection but you you describe going in when you go in for an audition that you're being the best that you can but not being aware of being desperate to get the part or being yeah hard. yeah yeah because you don't want that you don't want to bring that sense of neediness into it because the moment you because you have you have no control over whether or not they pick you to do that job or not so if you go in there with that agenda you're not going to be you're going to be need you're going to have a neediness about you and you're not going to be as relaxed as you would be if you if your mindset was just do you know what i'm going to walk into this room and i'm going to do what i do which is act and I'm going to act this part. And whether I get the job or whether I don't get the job is, is completely out of my control. But what I do know is if I release all of that stuff, then I'm going to give a better performance. And I'm going to, and whether they use me or not is completely up to them. But when you walk in with that attitude, it gives you a real sense of power and control because you mm -hmm. think, do you know what? If you don't use me, then somebody else will, you know. Mm -hmm. And quite often I think it um, when you when you when you bring what you do to the table at full force. It then becomes about compatibility. It doesn't become about pleasing the other person so that they, you know, they they think, oh yeah, let's let's give this person a job. If you as an artist are compatible with the project or the role or the person, then you two, you two separate entities will 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 probably work together if you are compatible. If you're not compatible, then you're probably not going to be working together. And if you if and you can take that into every area of life, it's it's really about mm. how compatible you are. Once you own what you do and how you present yourself to the world, 
it's about compatibility with mm. with other people or as i say all the role mm. you know quite often i'll go out for a role and i'm you know and i think oh i'm right for this role and then i don't if i don't get it i'll watch it and they've chosen someone completely different so who they had in mind is completely incompatible with with what you are with what i with yeah with uh, my my work or you might be going up for for example yeah it might be that the say you're going out for a a play and you need to play two roles and just say that you're compatible with run role but not the other you know mm. if they want to w up and stuff like that so again you have no control over that mm. but if you go in there and just be creative do what you do present to them what you do and walk away and you keep doing that in every situation you will get more work than if you just go into that every single audition trying to get the work Mm, I like that. Yeah, that's that's fascinating for me. It does. It does, and it, and it, yeah, it does. It really does because it 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 just means that you, yeah, you just present your skill, your talent, your work, which is all you want to do, really. Yeah, unto yourself be true. I think is uh, yeah summation of that. You know, absolutely nice bit of Shakespeare. One of the three. Absolutely, yeah, nice, nice. <laughs> but, but, but I think that works if you're a musician as well. You know, because if nerves get the best of you, you know, if you're if you're going to the into the audition and you're and you want the job because you've got a really expensive gas bill to pay, you know, that's going to interfere with what you do. Mm. That's going to, you know, if you're, it's like anything, isn't it? It's like a penalty shootout. You know, if if the World Cup is 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 on your shoulders on a penalty shootout, you're not going to, you're going to do a worse penalty. And, I think uh, it's really interesting that and a, a good starting place for a lot of people, especially people in business, is what you've cultivated is that that um, that detachment. It doesn't devalue yourself. In fact, it, it enhances your self worth because absolutely. you're looking after yourself. And for people in business, etc., that I've talked to, a lot of people get upset, upset, stressed by doing presentations or speeches. And what I, one of the first things I learned on stage many, many, many years ago is that the audience doesn't know that you've made a mistake because they don't know the play. So you can get away with anything. <clears throat> and the audience don't care. The audience really no. don't care whether no. or not you've made a mistake or not. And quite, that's, the, you know, the, the, quite often, one of the things they teach you as an actor is, is try not to get too caught up in the result. The work itself is the reward. Yeah. It's not the result. It's not people thinking you're good. There's nothing worse than being in a <clears> scene <throat> and thinking, I hope I'm really good. I hope people think I'm really good in this scene. You know, you just mm. want to be, you just want to do the scene. You don't want half of you looking in, wondering if people think you're good or not, or whether you're getting approval or whether the critics are going to give you a good review. Yeah. If you, so if you think of it like that, the work, it's the work itself that you're doing is the reward, not the praise afterwards, not the people telling you afterwards, you did a great speech. Because if you concentrate on the work itself, you'll probably do a really good speech and it'll be a lot more natural as well, rather than that self-consciousness of um, uh, trying to impress people. Yeah, I, I agree totally. The one thing I'd add to it is because I did a lot of clown, um, not circus clown, French clown, uh, the full sort of stuff. And that one of the things that they made, which really, one of the points they made was that um, if anything goes wrong, it's an opportunity. And so a clown yeah. loves things to go wrong because he can play with it. And I saw, I remember being um, uh, the play what I wrote by the right size. Is it Hamish? Mm. Hamish McCall, Hamish McCall yeah. and Toby yeah, Jones were um, in this play in the West End many years ago and something did go wrong and they made hay with it. They just 
rode it and then came back to the play. Mm. And people love you for that if you own up if something's gone wrong. You know, just own up to it. Yeah, because it be- it becomes something spontaneous as well, and that, yes. you know, it, and it kind of makes it come alive again. You know, yes. particularly if you're doing a play, and um, you know, when, when you're in a play for a long time, one of the things that you are constantly trying to do is to make it fresh and alive, and make it really sing again. Mm. Um, because you can get tired if you're doing the same thing every night. You know, so um, so when something goes wrong, yeah, it gives you a chance to improvise and uh, uh, fire up the blood. You know. Yeah. The audience pick up on that. They, and they, they, they love, love it. That. They love it. They yeah. Providing you're not thrown by it. Whereas if yeah. you're rigid, rigidly trying to get it right and something goes wrong, you're going to freeze. Yes. Um, so, uh, yeah. I, yeah, I think that's, uh, yeah. The less you try and get right and the more you just concentrate on the work you do and be, you know, in a relaxed way as possible is uh, you're going to do a better job. Mm. Yeah, I think it's an important lesson for all of us. And so the final thing I want to pick up, there were many things. We'll have to do another interview in season three. So, but the one that intrigued me near the end was uh, your comment that creativity isn't instant. Would you like to expand on that? Yeah, I think I think what happens is is that um, I think because a lot of life is instant these days, um, and people do think that. Particularly, particularly from in the outside world. Well, I'm seeing it more in the ins- in the inside in the in the creative world as well. And I was talking to um, I was talking to a designer about this, and he said, you know, they're working me so hard at the moment that I don't have time to go off and look at other. You know, I don't have time to to restock by by going to galleries, by going to places which will mm-hmm. then generate these ideas for my designs to get better and better. I'm just being worked so hard that I don't actually get I'm starting to burn out you know because we we continually need to that input inspiration yeah which is other people's work a lot of the time you know we get inspired by other by other people's work but I think I think what I'm noticing is getting cut down as well is the rehearsal process because the rehearsal process is where really important creative things happen Mm, mm. you know it's not just you learn your lines you don't bump into the furniture and then you open open a show you know you 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 you're given a chance, you know, you're because creativity comes from the subconscious mind. It doesn't come from the conscious mind mm-hmm. and it needs a little time to, to sort of bubble away and boil up. And, you know, things need to um, take time for, for, for creativity to come. And, the, you know, when we see Ed Sheeran come up, you know, with his guitar and play a song, we go, wow, that's brilliant. You know, you know, he's three minutes, but of course, he hasn't just turned up with his guitar and started playing. He's been rehearsing <laughs> that for about four months, and he's he's, yeah. you know, and he's played it every night for the last you know seven weeks. Yeah. You know, so no wonder. No, but, but all you're seeing are, are those three minutes. Yeah, and uh, and that's what I think. I I don't. I think people don't. You know, you need you need to give creative people some time to do the prep work in order to come up with the really good ideas. Yeah. Yeah. Otherwise, what you're going to get are the first ideas. And actually, you know, if you give if you give somebody a week or a couple of weeks, you know, and they're really working on that project and they're giving it to their brain to process, they're going to come up with something a lot better in a two weeks than they, they will do on the first day. So, and I think that, that the idea that people, that creative people just come up with ideas immediately, which are exactly the right ideas to use is wrong. Otherwise, we'd, we could rehearse a play in a week and then put a play up in a week, and it would be dreadful. <laughs> <laughs> Very good point. Well, we'll come back to that one day, but I'm, I'm going to wind up now, and thank you very much, Paul Albertson, professional actor and voiceover artist. Thank you very yeah. much. Thanks very much, Jim. Cheers. Cheers.